Hi, and welcome back to Zeppa Stories. Oh my goodness, today was an especially crazy, crazy day. So, um, I'm very much looking forward to this evening's read of a, it's evening time where I'm at, <clears throat> where the story I have for you is titled Half a Man. And this story is written by an author utilizing the name of Emily Froden. I believe it is F-R-O-D-E. Okay, so let's talk a little bit um, about the story. I found this writer actually on Tumblr. And when I reached out to the writer and, and of course saw the story, it did link me into uh, fanfiction.net where I was able to really see everything. So um, I encourage you to check out Emily's um, wonderful Tumblr page. She's got other things posted and I'm just so very, very excited to be able to share this story with you. Okay, so as I've mentioned, this story is called Half a Man, written by Emily Frode. There is a small summary as written by the author which says, he didn't deserve her, he knew he didn't, it was slowly killing him inside. And then we've got a quote, I'm burning Granger and I'll drag you with me. But she needed him, she said the words, she said them, she hoped they were enough to make him stay. So we do have elements of angst and romance. This is rated T, written in English. Our characters in this story are Hermione, Granger, and Draco Malfoy with a little bit of Narcissa. So um, she may make an appearance. Now this is an older read story, not read, but published story from April the 7th. So I feel really lucky that I was able to get permissions uh, to read this particular story. It's really quite wonderful and I hope you love it. So the story status is complete and the author does have a note that says that this fanfic is inspired by Half a Man by Dean Lewis. So I'm not going to sing because I'm a terrible, terrible singer, but I will definitely read uh, quotes and I'll give you just a quick preface before we start the story that the lyrics seem to be interspersed uh, throughout the story. So I will read them or read this particular one shot in exactly the same way that the author created it. So with that, let's experience Half a Man as written by Emily Frode. And we will begin now. How am I supposed to love you when I don't love who I am? And how can I give you all of me when I'm only half a man? Because I'm a sinking ship that's burning, so let go of my hand. Oh, how can I give you all of me when I'm only half a man? He was leaving. He was leaving. He was leaving. Why was he leaving? Draco, I... Stay away, Granger. No! Why won't you tell me? Draco, you've been pushing me away. Why? If it's what I said, then, then I'll take it back. You didn't do anything, Granger. They... Why... Just stay away, Granger. Stay away. I was wrong to say I loved her. I was wrong to think I'm right. Draco, I love... Well, I don't, do I, Granger? Hermione froze at that, her eyes wide and watering. Her heart had frozen for a moment, and she felt it shatter at his words, breaking up into sharp fragments. But she knew it wasn't the truth. 
but when I told her it was over, my darling, I had lied. He left. She told him she loved him, and he left. She didn't understand. She was heartbroken. He, he left me. It was the first time she'd ever seen him after the war. First, it was when he was apologizing, trying to correct his past mistakes. It was an unsaid apology, but he showed it. Some understood. Some didn't. The only people he couldn't apologize to were Potter, Weasley, and Granger. He couldn't. He tried, but ultimately he failed. Too much happened between them. He never could until one night. The piercing wind spiraled around him, brushing past. His suit, despite its thickness, couldn't shield him from the cold. He sat outside the ministry on the bench, just staring ahead. It had been his trial today, Potter testified. His mother and he were free. His father had been sentenced to a year in Azkaban. It wasn't a shock. Malfoy? He turned to the source of the voice and saw Hermione Granger standing there. He sucked in a sharp breath. His body was rigid like ice. He certainly hadn't been expecting her. He got up, dusting his trousers off, looking anywhere but in her direction. If you want me to leave, I'll leave, he began. No! He raised a brow. She blushed but shook it off. Sorry, I'm... I mean, you can stay. I was just surprised to see you sitting there. He hesitantly sat back down. She approached him tentatively and went to sit beside him, though keeping a fair amount of distance. You don't mind, do you? She asked quietly, still staring ahead. He just shrugged. She was silent for a moment before speaking. We forgive you, you know. He froze, but he didn't turn to face her. Zabini, he told us. He snorted at that. Of course he did. Never could keep his mouth shut. He chuckled a little at that. He was truly thankful to have someone like Blaze. Well, then you're lucky to have a friend like him. Someone who can't keep his mouth shut. You have no idea. They were silent for a moment. How's your mother? He raised a skeptical brow at that, finally turning to face her. His eyes flickered across her face, taking in the slight dark circles and, of course, her wild mop of hair. He furrowed his brows slightly. I didn't think you were on speaking terms with my mother, Granger. We owe her a lot. She may not like me because I'm muggle-born, but I respect her. What she did was no ordinary feat, she replied seriously. He was a bit surprised at how genuine she was. There was no malice in her voice. His lips thinned. She's coping. She'll be fine. And you? Hermione asked. I'll work. Hermione got up. I'll see you around, Malfoy. She gave a small smile and turned, casting one more fleeting glance over her shoulder before walking away into the night. He looked so worn that day, Hermione mused. His hair was slightly disheveled, and he had dark eye, dark circles, and he, he looked lethargic, pale. But he definitely looked better than when she'd seen him right before the war. He smirked once at the thought of Blaze, but that went away as soon as it came, not not like Hermione was better anyway. She looked like a twig with dark circles and cuts, but at least she ate.
they began seeing each other more and more. Sometimes it was at a ministry event. Other times they just sat and talked on the bench. Or rather, he'd just sit on the bench and listen to her. He talked too, though. But when she saw him mostly, and most, was at the graveyard. She first saw him there when she went. He was sitting there in front of the tombstone. It was a different one each time she saw him. He would just sit there and stare. He would try to form the words to apologize, even if he had nothing to do with her death, but his tongue was too heavy. The words wouldn't fall out. She had approached him once. He wasn't phased in the slightest. It was a dark night, oddly enough, though. It wasn't cold in the slightest. It was almost humid. At least, that's how Hermione felt it was. Why do you forgive me? She was taken aback by the question. Well, Harry, Ron, and I, I didn't ask of Potter Weasley. Why do you forgive me? Hermione hesitated, biting her lip. Because people make mistakes, Malfoy, and you need to learn to let them go. Whenever they were together, they didn't always talk. When they did talk, though, she found he was a great conversationalist. He could always keep up with her. She could share her ideas, and he wouldn't just push her thoughts away or think she was too much of a bookworm. He loved books like she did. And day by day, she found she had more in common with him than she thought. When they didn't talk, it was just silence, just the presence to let the other person know that you're here. And that was enough. The more she was with him, the more it felt right. He balanced out everything that felt wrong with her, everything that didn't fit. But there was something wrong inside him. She knew. It had been two years. He was slipping. He never talked about this, but he spoke once. It warmed her to know that he was opening up, even if only a little grandeur. I want to run run away. I've been looking for my demons, afraid to look behind. They were on the bench again. It was either the bench or the graveyard, as fucked up as that was. Meeting anywhere else was like breaking an unsaid contract between them. It was too precious to break. She turned to him. Where? Anywhere. Just away from everything. Her mind flashed back to when he was crying in the bathroom in their sixth year. Harry had told her, and somewhere in between, she found herself crying. I'll go wherever you go, Draco. I've been running from myself, afraid of what I'd find. They never called each other boyfriend or girlfriend or a couple. They didn't say they were dating, because to them, they were such degrading terms. There was something more, so much more, something only they would ever understand, and hell would free those over before they insulted what they were by giving themselves a stupid tag. People accepted, people didn't. Hermione couldn't be bothered by what others thought, but Harry was kind enough. He respected them. Ron, she hadn't spoke to him in a month. Why? Because he called Draco a Death Eater. She'd slapped him that day. Draco meant so much to her. She couldn't express it. Maybe it was that she'd change. After all, no one comes out of war unscathed. 
Everything he said, everything he did, it comforted her like a warm blanket on a cold winter night. But she knew he was, wasn't, who he used to be. If anything, she knew he'd changed more than anyone. He thought society hated him, but she frankly didn't know what to say about that. She found solace in the unlikeliest of people. Their relationship was unsaid. It was nothing they had to talk about, nothing they had to confirm. It just happened. She knew he was broken inside, and so was she. But he got out of what he got out of that when he was with her. And he got out of that when he was with her. He made her feel safe, secure, at home. And then one day it hit her. She loved him. And he left her. Draco, she called after him, but he was already out of sight. She knew it wasn't true. She knew she knew he loved her. She was going to find out why he was pushing her away. He pushed her away. He ran a hand through his hair as he walked away quickly. He wanted to know he needed to get away. Now, she said that she loved him. She loved him. I love you. How am I supposed to love you when I don't love who I am? Granger was different. She was different from others. He knew it when he first saw her at Hogwarts. He hated her then. But then sixth year rolled in, and he hated himself. He hated himself. He treated her like scum. He treated all muggle worms like scum. He treated muggles like scum. He took the dark mark. He was going to kill Dumbledore, but he didn't. He couldn't. When he took the dark mark, he had no idea what he was getting himself into, but then it crashed on him like a boulder crushing a human to smithereens until there's nothing but disintegrated parts left. His mother would die if he failed. His father would die. He would die. How can I give you all of me when I'm only half a man? Death. It scared him to think that he just barely missed it by a touch, a tiny touch, and to think that these would be all the reasons as to why Granger shouldn't love him. No. He watched her getting tortured, fucking tortured. We didn't steal anything. She was sobbing. Please, no. Her screams broke through the choking silence, her crimson blood spilling over the dark floor of the manor. He may not have known her well back then, but he still knew her. That's what made her torture the worst. He knew her, and he stood there. He just fucking stood there. He couldn't do anything. One move and they'd all die. But still, her screams were piercing, soul-shattering. Even after it was done, the screams still rang through his ears over and over and over and over, and it was driving him insane. Because I'm a sinking ship that's burning, so let go of my hand. He was walking briskly now, he didn't know where he was going, just somewhere, anywhere. Please, no! Keep walking. Please, please, keep walking. Stop, stop. We didn't steal anything. I don't know where it is. Please, walk. And then that carving. She fucking carved her skin, knife in deep, drawing out blood. Blood, blood. 
filthy little mud blood, mud blood, blood. He stopped. He took ragged, deep breaths. He didn't want to go down this hole again. He found himself in front of the manor. He went in. He sat on the ground, his head leaning back against the wall. His tie hung loose on his neck. His shirt was untucked. His suit coat was thrown on the bed, his hair disheveled. He had a bottle for fire whiskey in his hand. He was exhausted. I love you. Ah, fuck! He hurled the bottle across the room, hitting the wall and shattering the bottle. And every bottle I had stolen lay shattered on the floor. He hated pushing her away. She was the only one who understood him at all. Everything about her he loved drove him insane. Her wild hair, her nobility, her goody-two-shoes personality, and just, just her. But he still loved all those things. He didn't understand how someone could be so forgiving. She was everything he wasn't. She balanced him, and he knew that, and he broke her heart. But he didn't deserve her, doesn't deserve her. He knew he didn't. How could she even love a monster like him when he didn't love himself? Granger. What's broken can't be whole anymore. Narcissa stood outside the door. She contemplated going in, but something told her that maybe she shouldn't. But she was a mother. When it comes to family, she listened to her heart, not her head. So she went in anyway. Hermione sat on her window sill, looking out the window. Her eyes trolled over the frozen frost on the window, her finger tracing patterns in the condensed coat. Jenny sat on Hermione's bed. You know I'd be willing to kill him, right? Jenny said. I know, but I... I know, Malfoy. Yes, you do know him better than us. I told you there was always something going on inside of him, something that would put him over the edge. I'm never going to figure out what it is. He would never do this to me, never. And I trust you. Even I have seen this changed. I see the way he looks at you, Hermione. Jenny? Yeah. Don't tell Harry or Ron. Jenny was about to say something, but decided against it. Okay. Mother, leave the matter. It's the Granger girl, isn't it? She did something, or you did. What happened? Do you even like her, Mother? Do you hate me for this? Narcissa inhaled sharply through her nose. She kneeled down next to her son. He was still sitting on the floor and looked him straight in the eyes with absolute seriousness. You know your father, and I will never accept a mud muggle-born. You're my son, Draco, my son. They both said nothing for a moment. He looked away from his mother. He leaned his head back again and closed his eyes. I lost her, mother. I lost her, and it's my fault. Narcissa's eyes softened. She may never accept a muggle-born, but seeing her son like this... She pulled him in and hugged him. Narcissa was rarely ever a woman of emotions, but her son meant the world to her. She was willing to let her mask drop for him. 
he fell asleep in his mother's lap that night. Lucius was at the doorway, looking at Narcissa and Draco as they were asleep. His brows narrowed a little in concern. He conjured a blanket, let it rest on him, and went to his own room. She finally found him. It had been a week. It was nighttime, and she wasn't letting him go this time. She wasn't letting him go again. He stood in front of Dumbledore and Snape's graves. It was for a reason, she knew. His mission to kill Dumbledore was what started everything, and now it was supposed to end it. He was supposed to be leaving, but he wasn't going to go. Not this time. I know you're here, Granger. He never said her first name. She didn't want him to either. It was comforting in an odd way because it gave them something to hold on to, something from before the war when they were just kids. She didn't reply to what he'd said. She went and stood silently with him. She conjured a bouquet of lilies. I won't let you go, you know, she began quietly. He stiffened beside her. I know, I never said this, but... You mean the world to me. I need you. She turned to him, and he, her. Granger, listen. Why, Draco, why do you push me away? Because I don't love you, Granger, okay? I know that's not true. She was shaking in anger now. You and I both know that's not true. Why won't you just tell me? Did I do something? If this is going too fast, we can slow. It's nothing you did, Granger. He was also shouting now. Then what is it? I don't deserve you. She froze. He was shaking. Draco, what? I don't deserve you, Granger. He turned away from her. I've done bad things, Granger. I let the Death Eaters in. You didn't. I willingly took the dark mark. You didn't know it. I saw muggles and muggle-borns getting tortured. But you didn't torture. I watched you get tortured. He turned to face her. She went quiet. Do you know what that memory does to me? He went on. Every single day it haunts me. All of it. Every single day. I remember that I chose the wrong side. That I was partially responsible for Dumbledore's death, that I did nothing but fucking stare when you were being tortured. I hate myself, Granger. I'm the worst thing that could ever happen to you. I'm burning, and I'll drag you down with, with me. He fell weakly. He buried his face in his hands, him on his knees, and no one. He broke down, sobbing. It killed her to see him like this. Draco, she began, can ever hurt me like I've hurt myself. He was hopelessly shattered. You didn't have a choice, because I'm made up of stone and I'm beyond help. You didn't have a choice of any of it. I could never hate you for that. Granger, please, don't give your heart to me. If you saved me that day from Bellatrix's clutches, you and your family would have died. You were a boy when you took the mark. You didn't know what you were getting yourself into. She got on her knees now right next to him. I won't say that there aren't some choices you could have chosen, some better choices, but you were a boy, a child, just like the rest of us. I won't abandon you because you're a broken man. We, her eyes were watering. 
We're all broken somehow. We're not perfect, Draco, and... And I... I can't leave you. I... She was crying now. I love you. Three words. She said them. She needed him. He was right for her, meant for her. Without him, she'd... She'd lose her balance again. He meant everything to her. I love you, and your guilt and your past will never change that. He meant the world to her her whole life. He looked back at her. How am I supposed to love you when I don't love who I am? She said the words. She said them. And how can I give you all of me when I'm only half a man? She hoped they were enough to make him stay. Because I'm a sinking ship that's burning, so let go of my hand. Oh, how can I give you all of me when I'm only half a man? It was enough. All right, dear friends. We're going to take a quick break, and I'll join you back in just a moment. Hi, and welcome back. All righty then. Oh, goodness, wowza. Okay, so, wonderful listeners. If you would like to skip this story and go on to our next recorded, um, now would be the time to do that. If you'd like to hang in here with us for the commentary of Half a Man, then I please um, invite you to join us for this next segment of this episode. So thank you again for joining me to enjoy this marvelous story, Half a Man, written by Emily Frode. And I'm sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, Oh my goodness goodness, I love this story. When I read it the first time, I had shivers. And when you look at the actual piece in writing, this is a really unique piece of a fan fiction. So when I've talked about what is fan fiction, and I mentioned that it's based on media, and I've said that it could be a song or a painting or a book or a movie or anything really that gets a fan following this song, I'm sorry, this writing, I was inspired by Half a Man by Dean Lewis. So I thought that this was really amazing to see as you're reading the story that the, I'm going to call it poetry, because to me, you know, maybe lyrics, but it's poetry to me, is interspersed throughout the read so that as you're reading it, you have this story kind of revolving around I'm so sorry, excuse me for that. You have this wonderful story revolving around the centerpiece, almost like a maypole dance, you know, of this other work. And it just flows so very wonderfully. It just, it interweaves and it unfurls and it, it just blossoms as you're reading and you're going further and further and you're, you're going through each piece of of writing um you know it just really works well together it interlocks and it meshes in this really wonderful way so this is a really good example of of something like that so when you look at the piece in writing what's really interesting is that the story is mainly dialogue and it's 
energetic dialogue between Draco and Hermione for the most part and you know their conflict of her wanting to stay with him and wanting him to stay with her and him carrying this really horrible soul-crushing guilt and anger at himself and he just can't let her all the way in. So we read a story called Waterfalls in our previous episode where we have a redemption story of Hermione and Draco. Uh, this was written by Trink is Me. Going to magical waterfalls so that he could redeem himself and, and basically cleanse himself. And this instance in this story, this is almost an opposite. And I really liked reading these two stories back to back for a quick compare and contrast of these stories. Because in this instance, there are no magical waterfalls and there is no, you know, sparkling rainbow, which was beautiful for the story that we read written by Trinkasme. But in this instance, it's darker and it's harder and you've got a different edge and take on basically the same type of story where you have a very forgiving and loving Hermione and in this instance I almost felt like she was a little obsessive but it works it works for what's happening in half a man and then you've got Draco who is still for as much as he is being enlightened he is still very much under the soul-crushing weight of his actions, the things he did, the things he didn't do, and for as much as he can see what he, his own failings, he is not stopping to see that he is still being selfish, that he's not seeing her. And so I really feel like her character is really reaching out and really trying to embrace him. And he's still running and pulling and running away from her, even though he very much is coming to the realization that he loves her. He hasn't learned how to be brave enough to love her. So I thought that this was wonderfully, wonderfully written because he leaves her. You know, right at the beginning, she tells him that, you know, she loves him and his reaction so he can't handle it. It's just too much for him to, to have to carry and accepting his guilt outweighs the possibility that he could be worthy of love. And seriously, how many people in our own real day-to-day -day lives, you know, do we run into, I know I did, I ran into several people who were so damaged in their own way for whatever reason, you know, uh, whatever experiences had brought them to that point of hurt that sometimes they were so hurt that all they could do was lash out and hurt others. And they didn't mean to be hurtful individuals. It was just, I think, a defense mechanism or they didn't know any other way. Maybe that was the only way they could protect themselves, you know, from potentially being hurt even more. So I thought this story captures those emotion, those emotions that a person could feel, and I thought that it captured it beautifully. So one of the other things that, that I really love about this story is the support that these characters have, even though it's just made mention of. Like you have Blaze Zabini, which I love the Blaze Zabini character. I'll be looking for pieces where he's featured. Um, for next episodes, but I liked that he spoke up for Draco 
And to, of all people, Harry and Ron and Hermione, you know, he tells them that Draco wants to apologize. And that's really what triggers her, Hermione really approaching Draco to begin with is... I think she realizes that he can't voice what he's feeling, and so she's trying to make it easier and trying to extend that hand of forgiveness. And he's just not really capable of really accepting her for what she's trying to give him. So there's this conflict that they have between each other, and he can't handle the gift of her love, and he runs away, he goes back to the manor, he finds himself there. And I thought it was very telling where you have Narcissa make an appearance, you know, at this point, where, where she hears the anguish of her son, and even though, even though, you know, he, he and she might be estranged, or maybe they have a more rigid relationship because of their position in society and because of what that demanded between her and him as, you know, his mother. Um, I kind of think of it like being maybe a royal in a sense, you know, where you are bound more by duty than family love, where the Weasley's house, you know, is loud and boisterous and, and Molly is, you know, cooking dinner and their kitchen is, is a place of gathering and a place of love and warmth. It seems like Malfoy Manor seems very cold and it's very rigid and it, everything is very stylized and people have their roles to play even in their family lives. And I think the writer captured this quite wonderfully in this story where she's hesitating outside the door before finally going in to comfort her son and she does it because she's still a mother. And, you know, that, that primal need to comfort your child, you know, as, as a mother, this displays, you know, wonderfully in this story. And so, but not enough for her to be willing to overlook Hermione being muggle-born if it would make her son happy. And I thought that was very telling, you know, because she tells Draco, you know your father and I could never accept a, and you know, she almost says mudblood, and then she says muggle-born. And she doesn't say that she's willing to try for his sake. She just says that they won't or that they never would. So it's almost like she's saying maybe it's better this way or she's comforting him but not really encouraging him to be with Hermione though she understands that his heart is literally breaking because he feels guilt for not being able to tell Hermione that he loves her back and he's terrified that he's lost her and that he's the cause of this very thing that could bring him joy and happiness. I thought that that was brilliant being able to read this in the form of dialogue and kind of personal thought. Then you have Hermione and Ginny together and Ginny's just supporting her friend you know and and I could tell that, like, Jenny, reading this story, because I read, when I'm reading this, the Jenny in my mind for this story that I saw, I don't know about you guys, but was the Jenny from the books where she's snarky and quirky and she's got really vocal voice. And that was the Jenny that I saw here, you know, willing to support her friend and probably beat the crap out of Draco if Hermione wanted her to. But, you know, also ready to be supportive for her friend and really could have said something to Hermione and thinks better of it and just says, okay, you know, she's going to support her friend. So in this story, it's like Jenny is is very much a sister to Hermione in a way that 
she really needs somebody to be like the, the, the close girlfriend, the person that, you know, you confide in, the person you love like a sister. And, you know, of course, Hermione has said, don't tell Harry or Ron. And you know that Jenny's not comfortable with this, but she supports her friend. So I thought that was very nice that, you know, there is that support network for Hermione, even though maybe Jenny is considering that Hermione is pursuing something that may not necessarily be the healthiest for her. She's still there for her friend. I do like that Lucius Malfoy back at the manor, you know, he um, comes upon Narcissa and Draco and he understands that there is trouble happening and, you know, he he conjures a blanket and covers them up and I guess, you know, that him showing that he does care for them in his way, but you don't really hear him, you know, wake anybody up or get involved in what's going on, you know, he's just recognizing that there, there's an issue and he sees it and he covers them up, you know, so I, I thought that was a very nice and, and kind of a warm detail coming from such a rigid character, so I thought that was beautiful. Then we have Draco and Hermione and she's not letting him go. She's not letting him slip away so easily. And she finds him back at the, or back at another gravesite. That's the other thing too. In Waterfalls, you had Hermione and Draco going to a waterfall and these dates, they're going to cemeteries, you know, because he's, he is apologizing to people that have lost their lives because he feels responsible for their deaths. You know, he needs I think Draco in the story needs a lot of help to work through his issues and really doesn't know how to get that help. He doesn't know how to forgive himself. And so that's why I think having these wonderful, you know, pieces of half a man interspersed through the writing really works in a marvelously effective way and is probably the best use of this that I've seen. Now, I, I've seen this device used before in other fan fiction pieces, but never quite in this skillful of a way. I really, really like this. Like it's, it's staying with me for me to not even be referring back to pages to be able to, to recall points and, and things that stood out to me. Like when he's standing at the graveside of both Severus and Dumbledore and she's like why and he tells her I don't love you and you know it's a lie he's lying to her and she's not going to let him go she's calling him on it you know because Hermione is truth and she's not going to let him wiggle away from from what is the truth which is her so I do kind of like this ambiguous ending where he is a damaged person and you know, she is trying to help him. And you really don't know what's going to happen with them. You hope that it turns out well. I thought for me reading this that it was an ambiguous ending. It was hopeful but ambiguous because, you know, she says they hoped that they were enough to make him stay. So she says the words to him. She tells him again that she loves him, you know, to, to reassure him. And he's still doubting himself. And she, she has hope. That's, you know, the extent of, of what she has to hold on to with him is that she's hoping that it's enough. Now that final sentence that says it was enough makes you think that maybe he's going to reach out to her or that 
maybe they've hit a turning point in this very turbulent relationship that they have and from this point forward the it was enough which is our last sentence in this story perhaps that is really the beginning of a next it was enough maybe it's enough for him to be able to go back to Narcissa and say I know you will never accept this but this will make me happy or I can't believe in this viewpoint anymore because Hermione is this and you know so it, it gives him maybe he's developing that foundation in this moment with her to be able to finally finally be able to confront himself so that's my self-analysis and anal analysis of the story <laughs> I feel like a therapist but no actually I think I think this story was very telling and it was very human. It was incredibly human. I can't tell you how many times I have seen friends be involved in relationships where one person is completely invested and the other one is dealing with so many things that they're not focused in the relationship as much as they are, whatever it is, you know, that, that they're having to survive and get through. So I don't know if that's a common thing in every relationship, you know, where maybe you have one that really invests more in the care of the other. I think that is the case for the majority of people. And, you know, I think we try to do our best. And I think that this story is a wonderful representation, you know, of trying to be there for someone who is just so hurt, you know, and you just don't know what to do to make that other person to make that person whole and at the end of the day the hurt person has to help themselves you know and they have to heal maybe with support maybe on their own but it's it's hard doesn't mean you love a person any less that's going through really difficult things it just means that it has its own sets of challenges and I love that this story addresses that in a really delicate and really substantial way. So, Emily Frode, I love your story. Can you tell how much I absolutely love this story? And all I can say is, oh my goodness, wowza. Please keep writing. Please, please, please. I would love to see a sequel to Half a Man where maybe he has to confront his own self-destructive nature. You know, it would be kind of nice to maybe see him try and maybe fail and mess up miserably and pick himself up even, you know, further again and dust himself off. You know, I'd love to see this particular one shot go on and be, I'd like a part two. Because I don't think I have enough of this story. <laughs> I really don't. I'd like, to, I'd like to see them make it. You know, I'd like to see how they're going to how they get to the point where they're completely comfortable in each other because I have a feeling that these characters coming from the place of hurt that they're at right now both of them as broken people I think that in a sequel or in a next story they would have each other's backs so solidly that nothing could come between them even outside influences I mean it might break them a little bit but they're going to have each other you know be the support for each other like no one else when they could get to that point of trust and and comfort and love within each other which I think they're on the road in this story so I loved it I loved it I loved it um 
I can't wait to read more pieces <laughs> from this writer. And I encourage you as listeners to do the same. So again, I found this writer on Tumblr. And it's E-M-I-L-Y, Emily. And then the last name is F-R-O-D-E. Um, or you could probably search by the title Half a Man and it would pull up the fan fiction piece. And a lot of times if you're looking on Google, uh, do your search of the title and you can say like Harry Potter fan fiction and it'll pull everything up that'll have that name. And then you kind of look for the summary or for a little bit of what the story's about. And sometimes it'll give you the author's name. That's the fastest way if you're doing something through a Google search. If you're in fanfiction.net, uh, type in in the search window or the search box, half a man or the author's pen name, Emily, F-R-O-D-E, and it'll pull up uh, this writer's selections that she has posted. So with that, I am very grateful for the permissions this writer has allowed me. I'm just so, so excited, and I really hope that um, she liked the read. <laughs> if there was any stumbling that was on my part, it's not on the part of the writing. Um, it's on the part of me as the speaker. So um, there we are. If you liked Sepa stories, if you like these episodes, please give me a follow. That lets me know that you're tuning in and I know, um, kind of gives me an idea of, of what you guys want to hear. And I can tell, um, I'm able to, to kind of eyeball what stories you guys are really enjoying. Please email me if you want to hear a particular type of trope or story or pairing or you know something you want me to look for something for you pop me an email and I will look like I said right now I'm really interested in finding stories that feature Blaze Sabini he's one of my favorites and also something that might feature Pansy Parkinson I really like the mean girl Pansy <laughs> I really do sometimes she's so mean and sometimes she's just so snarky and wonderful um, in fan fiction, she's a fun character to to enjoy reading about. I love Hermione, of course, and I love anything with Severus Snape because um, he's just awesome. But with that, if you like what you're hearing and you want to hear more, give me a favorite, give me a share, tell your friends about it, uh, post up these you know i iPod sessions or. I just say iPod sessions. You can tell it's been a long day. Post up and share these episodes. And, you know, yeah, let's get Sepa Stories out there. Um, I do want to say thank you to listeners. I am starting to get a lot of positive feedback, and thank you for that. We have listeners pretty much everywhere, and I'm really surprised. I saw that we had a listener in Egypt, so Egypt, back at you. Thank you for that. We had listeners in Australia, so hey, Australia, how are you doing? Um, we had people in New Zealand. I saw that we had people in Ireland. Top of the morning to you if you're over there, and no, I'm not appropriating. I'm just saying good morning. <laughs> and so thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for all of the um, the listening, and I truly, truly appreciate your support. Please give us a share, and um, we so, so very much appreciate you supporting SEPA Stories. With that, we will see you next time. I will be um, premiering two new writers that I have found on 
This is actually a Harry Potter fan fiction site on Facebook. I'm really excited to tear through some of their reading and to get some stories up posted and read for you. So our next publication may be in a couple of days. I've got a little legwork to do. But um, we will see you then. And thank you for listening to Seppa Stories. <laughs>